1: I think we're live now. I, I, I just gotta hit my intro. If it works. It should work.
2: oh hey guys welcome back
1: to another episode of the typical skeptic podcast i have two fascinating guests with me tonight i have with me uh john steiger um he's a big fan of art bell but he's an author and uh, the the second guest i'll announce the second guest first i have with me christopher belzano he's going to be talking about the bridgewater triangle and uh you know like all the uh the paranormal hotspot which is the the Bridgewater Triangle, but my first guest is going to be John Steiger. Um, after listening to all the Art Bell radio shows during the 90s and 2000s, including a fascinating paranormal reports from Linda Moulton Howe, and then going on to read the literature of investigators like Kevin Randall and others, John Steiger began to seriously study UFOs and the paranormal. He then attended the 2013 Citizens Hearing on Disclosure in Washington, D.C. and the Roswell, New Mexico UFO Festival in 2015 and 2016. Inspired by these events, John researched and wrote a stage play, The Roswell Trial, a courtroom drama in which the audience acts as the jury in a civil trial between the UFO advocates and the U.S. Air Force, during which the evidence for and against the 1947 Roswell UFO crash are presented. At the play's conclusion, the audience votes for the winning side, and regardless of the outcome, which is not predetermined, one is left having experienced the Roswell case in a nutshell. Two more plays on the Rendlesham forest ufos of 1980 in england and the alleged abduction of u.n secretary general by alien beings of new york street in 1989 followed thus forming the ufo trilogy dramas for the stage john's book published by flying Resist press in 2020 and then for the past two years john has been working on an art bell paranormal um he's trans he was going to transcribe the radio shows but then he decided to do something different, um, and we're going to talk about that, and uh, that will largely, but we, we will be talking about tonight, we're going to be getting into the legacy of Art Bell. But first, I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. John, thank you for coming back on. How are you?
2: I'm great. Thanks very much for having me back.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, I I love talking about the legacy of Art Bell. I think he's one of the biggest infra- inspirations for me doing this show, you know, Um what? But, like, did you – were you always an Art Bell fan or, like – and then what what all do you know about the life of Art Bell?
2: Well, there's a – we could go for a long time with that. But uh, what happened is my mother-in-law um, was a big Art Bell fan when he was live and doing the shows. And she uh, teased me because she was retired, of course, and I uh, – was um working and you know working a day job and so she said well you'll not be able to listen to them, even though there are all these great things uh, being discussed on the show and so i said oh well i'm gonna show her so i would s- began sleeping with the radio on so the um you know you you'd hear i'd hear bits and pieces of the shows and got uh uh interested in some of the guests he had. And, and one of the particular ones was Linda Bolton. How, uh, because, um, she, uh, tantalized my interest in UFOs. So, uh, uh, that was the, uh, it was a while until I got into the UFO, uh, uh, field, um, uh, more or less as my main hobby, but, uh, that, uh, that did occur around 2010. And I've been um, uh, seriously studying uh, UFOs in that uh, uh, time frame up to the present. But once I finished my book, uh, Art Bell intervened. I um, began listening to uh, as many of the old shows on the internet, and there are many of them available uh, as I could. And uh, I just decided that, what really needed to be done is to uh, make a uh, tribute website um, to art in, uh, in in order to preserve the history of the show. And uh, so I've uh, come up with a uh, website called uh, ArtBellFiles.org. And uh, if you go on the ArtBellFiles.org, you'll find a wealth of material uh, covering the history of Art Bell's um, radio programs from when he began paranormal shows, uh, by his own admission, in 1992, up through um, his last uh, commercial broadcast, which it was in uh, March of 2016. So that's a 25-year span if you uh, count both endpoints. And uh, there's a there's just a, there's a vast history uh, to cover in that and. Um, anyway that the, the website if you go on the website check it out everything on there is free it's free access I don't even take donations um, so uh, I, it's just it's purely for your enjoyment and for and, and I'm happy to uh, um, um, to give what I have to you um, it's primarily concerns there there are um, three main parts to it I would say there's first of all I have a a radiobiography, and these are um, all kinds of statements and tidbits made by uh, Art Bell over the years, and they're arranged in chronological order uh, by the day of the program. And uh, so they, they have a natural flow that way. But they're on all the, 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 the statements where Art himself is giving opinions on various uh, paranormal topics. Um, then there's the uh, statistics. Well, uh, he had more than two thousand broadcasts uh, on the topic. Uh, he had more than a thousand guests. Um, I just recently put up a radio calendar showing uh, month by month by month uh, all the the shows in in over the over the years, and you can see from that how how his. Uh, work methodology uh changed. The first, in the nineteen nineties, which was the, the prime period when he, he gave put in the most hours and, and, you know, he was younger and whatnot, uh t- to the show. Uh definitely shows on the calendar. And then uh, you know, in the early two thousands his his uh, uh back he had the well he had the whole incident with his uh, son uh and and the and the uh, uh, criminal rape of him at, at his school and he had to deal with that. And then he had uh, uh, his back started acting up as he was getting older and then uh, he basically uh George Nori took over the main duties of the show and he would appear sometimes on weekends and then he had the trauma of his uh wife Ramona. I'm, I'm
1: gonna show those I'm gonna show your website John Can you, yeah, can sure. you
2: see it yeah it should I should be showing up on the screen. Yes. Yeah, that's it right there. It looks beautiful, man. I love what you've done with it. Thank you. Um, this I, is amazing. Okay, thank you. You Well, you can see it's all categorized. It's the radio biome, the stats were the two things I mentioned. But then there are a lot of transcriptions on there um, done by categories, you know. Like uh, the, there's the smorgasbord and then there's the strange rangers, which is kind of like a hall of fame of the uh, of, uh, uh, various guests. There's tall tales because there's, there's people who came on there and just, I don't think, I, I, I don't accept what they said. I don't think Art accepted what they said. Um, yeah, there's here's strange rangers. He said bugs who had the Bigfoot encounter, Mr. Fidget uh Gabriel the mercenary I'm do- I'm doing desert
0: chat who is right mr now, fidget John?
2: mr fidget was a um fellow who was on um for a rather short period of time but he uh he 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 was originally a caller to the show and he had invented this uh gadget um for uh, which helped with nervous tension like you could you could use this gadget instead of smoking for instance that's one of the things he promoted it for and it was also very good for um uh increasing your finger dexterity and and mr fidget uh told art that he was uh, so confident uh with uh his uh finger uh phone dialing ability that he um uh, what he, he he wasn't a wealthy fellow so he went to uh, pay phones this was in Santa Cruz California and he went to a, um, a, a dual pay phone and he dialed with both hands so he'd have uh, two phone uh, chances and he got on like uh, several nights in a row at a time when it was very very difficult because so many people were calling the show and so Art eventually put him on as a guest one night and it was calling from the pay phone and then these people, you know, from Santa Cruz area, uh, heard that that the guy that w- was a guest on a public telephone, they all went and and uh, were out in the street, and and then uh, Mr. Fidget started putting people on, you know, that, that had just showed up uh, in public, and they all got got to talk talk to Art, uh, and he even had, you know, he had a. a, a bread truck driver uh, uh, come by to verify mr fidget at first it, it was just an absolutely fascinating radio program and so anyway the, i have the transcription of that yeah, i think one thing to point out yes sir i, I was going to say one thing to
1: point out is like when aren't a lot of the shows it was before the internet right so like this was at a time where you could only kind of call into the radio like calling into the radio was like a big thing because like it was like our form of entertainment like i remember when these shows were going on i was in my 20s you know like so like the art bell show was a big thing for me like i would listen to it at night i would always tell people i would tune in through the radio so like if you couldn't get a clear signal on the radio, you weren't listening. It wasn't like the internet today, where you can just click on a link and you can listen to any of our shows. It was much more difficult. You know, um, do you agree, or what do you think?
2: No, I th- I think that's largely true, um, and sometimes the, sh- the 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 radio station in your area might only cover some of the programs. They might cover, um, say or they cut off an hour because oftentimes he was five hours. and They might only have room for four or they would, they would only do dreamland or they wouldn't do dreamland. You know, this there was all kinds of combinations that, that, you know, he was trying to get on wherever he could. So uh, they made deals to be on and, 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 and whatnot at, um, across, but it, it spread across the country. The real, the real, um, magnificent thing about it is it did go coast to coast, which was the name of the program eventually coast to coast AM. And then, uh, you know, it got up in Canada and then people started listening that when they internet, there were some places that had the internet ability. And I think they were like in Britain or Australia, whatever, were able to, he, he, he said this on a show. I was just listening to a little while ago that they were, um, listening in on the radio, I mean, sorry, to his radio show on the internet. So that did happen, but it wasn't anywhere near as common as it is today yeah
1: and i just wanted another thing i wanted to point out that a lot of these people that we're looking at on these strange rangers page are passed away like i can i can verify that john keel has definitely passed away john lear has definitely passed away father malachi martin has definitely passed away and evelyn paglini has passed away um those were four of my favorite guests well john keel was only on once because he was a pretty big name back then you know that's the guy from the modern prophecies he's also a famous in my mind, he's one of the best 14 researchers we've ever had. John Keel was so ahead of his time as far as, like, um, as far as, you know, his thoughts on the paranormal. It just it didn't compare with what anybody else was saying at the time. But, and then, That's
2: why he, you know, he, he's firmly on the Strange Rangers page. He's, I mean, if there's anyone who's a Strange Ranger, it's John Keel. But Bugs, the first guy, he's also passed. I've confirmed he's also passed. Yeah, I know David
1: Pellides and Nick Redfern are still alive, but they may be the only two people on this page that are still alive. Um, I'm going to click on the encounters section to see. Yeah, I don't know about
0: Harlot
2: or Gabriel or, or Mr. Um, and
1: like, and, um yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about them. And um, the, the other one is Harlot the Witch. Like, I'm not sure about Harlot the Witch because she was a, like a one-time guest, and she was very strange. But, um, you know, that's that's one that everybody should go back and listen to.
2: One of the most intense. I
1: always thought that was a good one. alien well,
2: Encounters, you'd think it would be. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say Har- Harlot is one of. The- oh, no, you're saying I one of the. It's, one of the top, it's, it's it's certainly one of the top 20 shows he ever did. And I, th- I think i mean put it maybe in the top 10. But she freaked him out. And that's why. And she freaked. Many people listening to that would be freaked out by her. I mean, because she she sounded so sincere um, in her uh, personification of evil, and so uh, yeah, and I've and I've transcribed her, so it's it's uh, it, it, I just I'll never forget that one. Never forget it. So anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I, I moved to your Alien Encounters section here sure. on the website. Now, you have some names, but I'm sure there's a lot more. One that I know that you don't have on here yet and I is uh, Carla Turner. I was a big fan of Carla Turner. Well, I've be, most more recently become more acquainted with her work. She's the alien abduction lady. She was on Dreamland. She got killed. You know, um, I, I think there was something up with it, if you ask me. I mean, but
2: um, she's definitely – have you listened to her show yet? And, or did – you know, I I think I have, but it's been you, you, I, there's so many shows. It's two thousand. I'm pretty sure I've heard it, but I don't. I I knew she was alien abduction, but uh um, I don't remember the gist of it. Um, there's there's another one that I would hope to add some of uh, Pamela Stonebrook who allegedly have, had an affair with an alien. With a reptilian, um, yes, I yeah, love so that story. Yeah, that's that's a that's another really strange one. Uh, but you, see the when I have forthcoming on there, uh, this is aspirational. I, you know, they should be, but uh, they should be there. They should be there, and and the others that you mentioned should be there. But the problem is, it's it's one of time. I, I this I'm one guy. And um, I can do, I, can, I do about 50 pages uh, a month, 50 pages a month. And it's just, there's tens of thousands of pages here to transcribe. And I can do about 50 a month. So uh, I try to apologize for that in my introduction on the homepage. I can only, you know, I have to be very judicious about what I do. And I, because um, I can't do it all in my lifetime. Somebody else is going to have to take over, and so. Anyway, now, when you say transcribed, do does that
1: mean like if I just click on one of these links, does that mean you have like the the whole show like, right now? Is that click, what you click did? It.
2: Click on any of them. Click on one.
1: You know, okay, I clicked on Bud Hopkins. Like, now,
2: can you get can you okay. get PDF a let me PDF on your? PDFs. Card. You need to be able to get a pull up a PDF.
1: So, oh wait hold on. it might not screen share though but like so if you could I'll just explain to
2: fun. us sure
1: it's not pulling up
2: or something okay all right well most people can pull up a pdf on on it on a computer or a tablet one of the two um and perhaps on the phone too um and and you know it's just it's just a wealth of reading reading material i'm trying to preserve these shows in a format, yet yeah, yes, d- listening to them is the the prime way of experience them. But there are sometimes when you read something as opposed to hearing it, um, you can um, anyway. You you can it's a, it's a different type of experience. So anyway, you're trying to pull one up now. I, yeah. I take okay. Yeah, that's on my download.
1: You can see that's where you're still looking at my download, oh, yeah. like the, the my, my shows I've downloaded. But um,
2: so let okay. me see so, your- so you'll be able... But, I mean, they're, these are all downloadable. They're, you can read them. You can download them. Yeah. To be quite honest, you even though I have copyright on them, you can copy them. The reason I want... I want them preserved. And the more places they are, the more likelihood they'll be preserved. I mean, and... Because I just think it's very important because art bell was so important um to preserve the his his, his, the legacy of his work um for posterity so anyway but there's there's all these the different ones you know time travel yeah i
1: agree
2: i agree yeah entertainers you know we interviewed George Carlin. you know we interviewed this uh, is pulling up
1: slowly but it's pulling up. Yeah.
2: Well, okay, okay, maybe it will yeah, I, I don't know on my my computer it pulls UFO, but yeah that that's that's the header right there. There's the header on every page. So <laughs> there you go. All right. There's the beginning of Bud Hopkins.
1: It's going slow because I'm on StreamYard,
2: and when I'm on StreamYard, right. my
1: computer is slow.
2: Okay. okay. Well, then, okay. But this is this is what, you know, this is the interview between Bud yeah. and
1: and then... Oh, my then, gosh.
2: Yeah. It's a lot of work. Oh, it, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I can do about two and a half minutes. I do... I get up at four in the morning, and do about two and a half minutes in an hour. Okay. But I'm trying to do every word. I'm not doing summaries. Okay. I, I, there's a few on here that are summaries, but that was before I decided to, you know, <laughs> doing every word is really the just the way to justify it. So. Anyway. And this is an insane amount of work. Like this is, well, this is, I mean, yeah, I, I probably am insane. I probably am insane. I, I this, is, this is this is an insane amount of work. I mean, there's 2,000 shows, 2,038 shows. I mean, I I I, 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 have 50, I I think I have around. I think 50 I've people. met someone. It's like, yeah, I think I've met someone that's interesting. So wow, I, Mel What Mel Waters this is. is, this is he, amazing. He's the one I want to do next. I want to I want to finish him. But uh, I spread it around. I don't do usually, you know a whole bunch of the same in a row because it's just, you know, varieties, the spice of life. So anyway, tall tales. These are ones that I don't, you know, Creskin um, got thrown off the show, the amazing Creskin. He got thrown off the show for uh, pulling a a, a, a bull crap trick out in Vegas and Air, the Area 51 pilot. It's a really, really, really good spoof, but I think it's a spoof. Bob Lazar, I have problems with, uh, mainly because of his educational claims, which I didn't believe. And then the Philadelphia Experiment is, um, I think, rather far-fetched as well. And uh, Mel Waters, I think his is a tall tale, although it is brilliantly told, and it kept expanding and expanding and expanding. There's five of them. So I'm uh, 40% of the way there. Three more to go. And then the forthcoming. Where do you think they?
1: Yeah,
2: where? How do you think
1: up the story of Mel Waters, or do you think Mel Waters made up his own story?
2: Oh, I I think he made it up. Yeah, I do. I think he made it up. Especially, I mean, when he said, "I went to to uh, Australia and established the Wombat Institute." I mean, that's just. (laughs) <laughs> I mean that's just yeah, a little yeah. bit far and then and then you know he, he was being paid like I don't I forget three million dollars a month or something and then he he got like 40 million dollars total and then the, uh, he blew that in the wombat Institute in Australia and then he ends up oh, uh, in a home uh, in, in Skid Row in San Francisco homeless. It's Well, here's
1: the thing, John. Here's what what I think. I mean, like, Art also interviewed Red Elk, you know. um, I don't know if you've done his shows yet, but Red Elk kind of confirms that 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 hole was there, that Mel's hole was there. So here's what I think. And I've heard people remote view Mel's hole, too. So here's what I think. I think Mel's hole might have actually existed, but I think Mel might have exaggerated his story. Do
2: you think that's fair enough to say? Well, that's that's a fair interpretation. I I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. You remember he had not just one hole. He had two holes. He had the hole in Washington, and then he moved on to the hole in Northern Nevada, right? And and the one where yeah. they had the the uh, um, the boss uh, w- w- of workers and then the, and then the all uh, oh, the well I, I haven't heard it in a little bit, but the the. Oh my goodness! They lowered a lamb into the hole, and uh, oh my! It's 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 just it's an incredible story. Even Art I think had a hard time swallowing it, but it's very very entertaining. The probably possibly my favorite for entertainment uh, guest, you know, just for pure entertainment. You can't you can't believe what he said, but very very entertaining. So anyway. Yeah, um,
1: and then uh, the ones that you else you think are tall tales—the uh, Emmonsville board—that has been proven
2: that as a but That has been proven. Well, he had two. He had the guy who did the show, and then he had uh, Joel Martin and uh, Bill Burns on in 2015 who debunked it. And Hail Bop Comet has been. That's an. That's that's probably here right there, close to a year to do the Hail Bop comment. There's so many shows on that. Um, I mean, and also uh, Jonathan Reed and the Alien in the Freezer Alien Burrito, that's pretty much disproven. But again, really entertaining, entertaining tale, and just it, you know, it got wilder, and I think it got away from them a bit. So and it, anyway, that's um that's the tall tales segment. Yeah, want,
1: someone the, made a song. Someone made a song about that. That 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 UFO burrito that that's it's funny like i think we have yeah. a delay but uh i'm gonna move to the go category because we still have some time we still have 10 minutes before my next guest oh. joins us so i i love what you've done with the ufo section some of the art's best guests were on ufos this was a really good show This standing on my show i think he's a brilliant guy i've had a lot of these people on my show i mean i well not a lot i've had a. Tom Carey on my show. I'm trying right. to think of who else. Not, well, maybe not a lot. But um, yeah. I mean, I, I tried getting a lot of the people that Art got on, you know. But right. um, so just too, too far out. I mean, too too big to get.
2: Well, like that the too. Yeah. But like,
1: it's interesting. Watch like, it. yeah, a lot of the people. You're right. You're oh, some of the people. I mean, like in this one, some of these people are gone. Like. Jesse Marcel Jr. I think he's you know Jesse Marcel Jr. died right.
2: He's he's gone. J. Bon Johnson is gone. He was a a Roswell witness. Uh, Stephen Schiff, that representative, he's uh, passed. Um, On the other side, um, um, let me see. Uh, uh, Stanton Friedman, Kevin Randall's still around. I've had Kevin on my show. Oh yeah, Kevin Rand. Well, Kevin Randall and I are. I I correspond with Kevin Randall fairly regularly. So, yeah, he's he's, and I I really respect his. But he's he's like the opposite of of like Mel Waters. He I I take what he says to the bank. Um, But anyway, and then Robert Salas. Why do you say that? Why
1: do you why do you why do you think?
2: Why do I think what?
1: That, um, I, might, I mean, I think Kevin's pretty credible, too. But like, what do you think? What is it about his research that really shines for you?
2: Well, I think I think he's a very uh, well, wow. that's a that's a great question. But I mean, I have an answer to it. The, the answer is, is, Kevin Randall is a serious UFO investigator and researcher. He's one of the prime Roswell investigators, but it doesn't. He didn't just limit it to Roswell. Although, and you know, people like uh, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt more or less have only done Roswell, and that's fine. That's it's to, to their credit, and they've done a very good job. I think Don Schmidt might know more about Roswell than Kevin at this point, but Kevin has gone and he's written books about Level Land. He's written books about Socorro. Uh, he's written books about the Washington Nationals. Of, uh, invasion, and um, and he's written uh, you know uh, b- books about U- uh, UFO crafts um, on UFOs. I uh, I just I take I I believe every uh, word he says. Uh, I, I've never known him to lie. Um, I've worked, I've done projects for him myself. I've gone to uh, the National Archives for him because I live much closer to it than he does. So I, I did that project for him. And we've also done some other research, um, you know, internet based. And uh, that's uh, uh, outlined on his blog. And uh, I just found, I just found, I just found that, no, this is not, this is, this is, Old news rediscovered, but you've heard of the Phoenix Lights, right? You've heard of the Phoenix Lights, nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. Okay, okay. Are you aware that there was a uh, another incident in June, June thirtieth, nineteen fifty, in Phoenix, um, uh, that made the headline of the Arizona Republic? A UFO incident, this is. And uh, there's no, a I was aware of, of that. Yeah, right. I know no one. I didn't find. I only found out about it myself last week. It's just I happened upon it because I was doing some research about this guy that Kevin pointed out who had taken some old photos about with that associated with Roswell. And the guy lived in Phoenix. And here's this other story uh, of about a UFO that over one day, but it was like seven or eight hours of the day, okay, in daylight. Everybody could go out, you know, like kids could bring their mothers out, like, look at the strange star in the sky. And it was real big. And it was I mean, it was too big to be a weather balloon. It was too um, slow to be an airplane because it was basically just drifting across the sky. It took seven or eight hours to go from East Phoenix uh, across to the western sky and out and and, uh, you know, out of out of sight. And uh, there's, there's newspaper articles of it uh, in the Arizona Republic. Now, I've only found the one date's reference, but it was the headline of the front page. Just like that Roswell, famous Roswell uh, story was a headline in, in all those papers. This was, a, this okay, this is Phoenix only, but still, it's a headline. I gave it to Kevin Randall, and we're going to see, you know, what we can make of it. So, anyway. That's a new yeah. development. Just checking to make sure my other,
1: other guest wasn't here yet. He said he'd be coming in right around 7.30. So um, we okay. have about five more minutes.
2: That's fine.
1: Um, what did you pick for the, um, oh, let's look at uh, Art's radio bio. Like, I'll look at that real quick. Like, Okay. Um, sorry, my internet's moving so slow, guys. Like, this is like, this is
2: like, um, there we go. what did you do with this? Okay, the the first the nineteen ninety two to twenty ten. Oh, we're back in the archives. We gotta go back to the radio. Well, bio? I, I
1: went to the main page. I figured you could kind of just explain it because I wasn't gonna click on the Take too long to load. No,
2: no, 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 no. I'm not saying. Okay, is uh, I, I Well if I, it's still it still would at- take too long for me to load,
1: so okay. maybe
2: no, no. Okay. Basically, I did uh, the, f- oh, the you first. Go back so you can look at it. Or- yeah, sure. Hold on. Oh, thanks. Yeah.
1: There we go. Sorry, there's a That's delay. all right. That's that's right. I didn't mean to talk okay. over you, John. Right, it's just, not, I think we have that? a delay. When when I use Streamyard, okay. there's a delay sometimes. So it's not understand. me being rude. I'm not trying to talk.
2: I understand. Let's just keep it here for a second. The the first ones are um, the uh, Premier Network shows, which is um, um, they're taken from uh, um, Coast to Coast and Dreamland, okay? So 19, now I don't have any Area 2000 on here at this time, but I have Coast to Coast and Dreamland um, 92 through 2010 were the dates that he was on that program. Then the 2013, which is a much shorter file, it was series. the series shows. And he was on Sirius for, uh, I think, two or three months in 2013. Uh, did about, uh, I, I think it's between 20 and 30 shows. And uh, so there's, there's a few highlights from that. 2015 was um, Midnight in the Desert which was his internet show. He did almost a hundred shows of that. There's more of that. Um, and so I have, that's a bigger file. Then the epilogue is basically, we go back to the coast to coast and what George Nori and Tom Danheiser had to say on the night Art Bell passed. And um, it's one page, but it's 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 a poignant uh, and, and very fitting summation that they gave and rendered and uh they were very gentlemanly about it you know because george and and art had some uh um well they weren't always on the differences yeah they had differences right so uh we don't need to go into detail but a- anyway they, they 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 george did a very fine summation of of art's uh of, for Arts on his passing. And then the defamation lawsuits, that's a special thing because he sued um, four different people, two lawsuits, two, Two. he sued um, uh, David John Oates, who'd been a, a fairly regular guest uh, and um, Robert A.M. Stevens, in one case, Robert A.M. Stevens was on once and, with a debate with Richard Hoagland and it ended up getting thrown off the show um it's it's actually you listen to it once but it's not it's just it's not that interesting a radio he was he was a very confusing guest and it's it's not it's it's not the most entertaining program but he 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 uh, he, he confounded art and and richard both and they ended up throwing him off the show and then he went on on to David John Oates' uh, show and they badmouthed Art, and then the other uh, the other one was uh, Ted Gunderson and David Hinkson accusing Art of being a child molester on uh, uh, a national radio show out of Nashville, and uh, because they got facts wrong and anyway they they, they just anyway Art Art had Art sued yeah. them so they both they. they Fox uh oh um, sorry John wait yeah.
1: hold on sure so uh, okay I, I was gonna I was my other guest was here I was gonna bring him in but I'll, I'm gonna finish up with you real quick sorry about mm-hmm. that like this thing's That's acting funny. tricky. Are you still there John
2: yes I'm here I'm here can you hear me oh my can God, you hear me
1: insane I don't understand what's going on with this software. Oh, my God. Like, this is so crazy. It's like dealing with, like, I, I don't even know what we're dealing with here. Guys. Okay, now but, it says um, I'm
2: in the show. Now it says I'm in the show. Can you hear me?
1: Uh, yeah, you're, I, I, I okay, I'll try to leave it here. Sorry, John. I, so, um yeah, just to finish up, do you want to tell everybody where where they can find you at? And, oh, my Art God. Wall files. Someone or- met me tonight.
2: Art this,
1: Bell, be all it. That's it. all yeah. uh, well, Thank art you, John. You're, you're awesome, like, I love your passion for Art Bell. Like I, I really do. Like I. I there think he is, he is like,
2: the man,
1: right there. Art Bell. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, John. I'm so sorry about any audio um, glitches we had or anything like that, or no, you know, like, you no, like no, um, no problem. You know, I really blast. Do a lot blast. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good night. All right. I'm bringing in the next guest now, guys, if if StreamYard will let me, this this software is bizarre, man. Like it, it never like it never wants
0: to work out right. It's just
1: crazy. Chris, are you there?
0: I am here. So, let, you know, let's hope uh, everyone can uh, see and hear me or at least hear me. I'm not sure how many people want to see me, but
1: well hey it's good to have you back man my show's grown a lot since the first time you've been on so thank you so much for coming back on
0: how are you thank you for having me back on i've been doing really well
1: yeah and for guys just to give my guest a proper introduction um this, i i consider this guest a, a paranormal legend as well um christopher Bazzano, he's a writer he's a folklorist he's a researcher and he's the current host of the tripping on legends podcast He's been documenting The Unexplained since 1994, and he's been a paranormal in the figure world, in paranormal world through his books, articles, and his work as a director of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads, and now Tripping on Legends. Belzano is the author of several books about regional hauntings focused on the Bridgewater Triangle, as well as several collections on true ghost stories and how to do paranormal books. He's appeared on radio stations across the country and throughout the internet, as well as being called upon by television shows to comment on ghosts and urban legends. He is widely considered the leading researcher on pop wedgies, which we're going to get into tonight. And he formerly ran the paranormal news at ghostvillage.com and headed up Ghost Village for kids. And you can find him, his website is tripping on legends. He's tripping on legends on Facebook and at Twitter. It's at spooky balzano, B-A-L-Z-A-N-O. And on Instagram, it's at spooky tripping. I'll put all the links in the description again, Chris, thank you for coming back
0: on. Uh, yeah. Um, how's it going, man? Excellent. So just so you know, I've got my kids uh, in the studio with me uh, having their dinner. So if I do give a, a rude sideways glance, it's because I'm yelling at one of them with my eyes. So they know, uh, the uh, look, they know what the look is, and now your audience knows what the look is, too. So, for example, when I go like this, that's my kids. So uh, that's
1: okay, man. I, 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 I know everybody, <laughs> like, you know, like, I mean, you're a teacher too. People don't know that as well. You're, you do, you, you're, a, um, you teach high school. Is it? Yeah, is it? I'm, a high, I'm a high
0: school English teacher, freshman English. That's awesome. So the paranormal is kind of like your side pro like love or whatever. Um, teaching is my side gig, but it's the one that gives me my money. So, which is not a lot, right. Cause I'm a teacher, but no, it's, it's, you know, I incorporate the, Uh, both things into each other on in my writing and on my radio show the way i approach things there's definitely a teacher element to it um and then in my teaching i try to get ghostly legends and urban legends in there as much as possible so i'm kind of you know a man caught between two worlds but i like to let them kind of uh uh, mesh into each other as much as possible
1: yeah um tonight i kind of wanted to focus on two of the books you wrote um you wrote uh, one that was on cults, the crime and the paranormal, but I, that kind of ties into the whole Bridgewater Triangle thing because there's a big cult aspect to the Bridgewater Triangle. So I figured yeah. maybe we could dive deep into the Bridgewater Triangle and then we could yeah. touch on the cult thing as well. But um, what, what, I mean, I have a bunch of you know highlights um, for the Bridgewater Triangle. I guess we could start off here. Native American lore. There's a lot of well, I guess maybe you could explain to people about the Bridgewater Triangle
0: first to give them an idea. Yeah, sure. It's this, uh, this area in Massachusetts, which it kind of ebbs and flows, uh, depending on who you talk to. The original design was kind of set out, the whole triangle aspect was set out by Lauren Coleman um, back in the late 1970s uh, as he was doing research in uh, southeastern Massachusetts. And he was basically finding there was a lot of, at that time, especially Bigfoot activity uh, and UFO activity in the area of Bridgewater. Um, Bridgewater, Masses, Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, and East Bridgewater. And as he started to document more and more unusual things, both historically and like reports he was getting currently, he began to expand it out and expand it out until he hadn't reached these three points of Abington, Freetown, and then Rehoboth, Massachusetts. Since then, it's kind of, uh, you know, people have included other aspects of it. Uh, people have brought other towns into it. People have expanded it. Uh, if, you're, if your listeners are, are fans of Lauren Coleman, they know that he's not uh, big when it comes into ghost stories and ghostly legends. Uh, so I brought an element of that to it. And, and then, you know, a lot of it was this kind of natural um, expansion. You know, if you, if you consider uh, Freetown, Massachusetts, for example, to be part of the triangle. Well, Fall River used to be part of Freetown, right? It broke off from it. Parts of Rhode Island used to be Freetown. Well, how can you have anything where you're documenting ghosts and you can't include the Lizzie Borden and Bed and Breakfast, which is in Fall River, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I spent years kind of looking at these different cases that kind of run throughout. it. I was a Metro Boston person. This is like an hour and a half, two hours outside of Boston. Uh, I would have much rather have been uh, just researching and uh, investigating at that time those kinds of places. But that area just kept drawing me out time and time and time again until kind of it's become what it is now, which is a, not just a local sensation anymore, but kind of like a national and international sensation.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, do you think there's something like that has to do with like energetically, like, because it, you know, like we hear about these different triangles all over the country. Like since I interviewed you the first time, my knowledge on the paranormal expanded a lot. And I know that there's like the Alaskan triangle, the Bermuda triangle, there's weird activity in the, the national parks of our country there's you know like people go missing and stuff and like so it's like it seems like there's triangle areas um i don't know if it has something to do with energy if it has something to do with portals dimensions wormholes um just maybe just places just with weird activity that kind of you know i mean like even places like skinwalker ranch which some people debunk but i still think there's something going on there then there's a place called the meadow which is in the south it's they call it the south skinwalker ranch where a lot of stuff goes on at this meadow um too but like do you, what, do you follow these other places too? And do you, do you find like a trend that these,
0: that these other places have that the Bridgewater Triangle might have as well? I think there are definitely pockets of um, areas that seem to have portal activity or some kind of, you know, as I was doing the research for my most recent book, which is about the Ocala National Forest here in Florida, um, people kept telling me time and time again, for example, they would go out on a hunting trail that they've gone on their whole life. Uh, and there would be a certain place where they would always rest and kind of, and there would be a rock there and they would go there sometimes and the rock wouldn't be there, right? It would be there on Tuesday. It wouldn't be there on Wednesday. You would be back there the next Monday. This kind of weird ebb and flow of the natural environment, right? The more you look into these things, the more that makes sense, right? We have these places where there seems to be, and I called it the slip, right? Uh, or the shift there seems to be places where the universe just shifts, right? Where there's something odd going on, whether it's a vortex, you know, we put these names on it because it's the only way we can process the paranormal is by putting it in these things. Now, what happens is when you get one thing that's going on, it's anomalous. When you get two things that are going on, it's a trend. When you get three things that are going on, now all of a sudden you have a structure that stands. Right. So I think the idea of trying to search for triangles, different places is really our search for understanding. Right. So if we can go, here's something, here's something and here's another one. Now you've got three points. Now it's something. And then, of course, if so much stuff is happening in between those points, it naturally becomes popular amongst the people who are researching in that area. So I think it's a very natural trend in the paranormal to see this, to gain this understanding. But I do think, as you were saying, the the foundation of it has got something to do with different energies on it. And the more and more I've done it, especially in the research that I did in Ocala where it was clear the very first time I went there, that there was a problem with sound waves. There was a problem with, um, with the way that the, the light was traveling, with the with with um, weird shadows that were going on, that it had something to do with waves being messed with, so with energy somehow, uh, and and that's what we call portals. That's what we call slits. That's what we call triangles.
1: Yeah, or even like even like another reality, right? Because I was thinking like a lot of you know like in the Bridgewater Triangle, it seems to have a lot of UFO activity. So it's like it's like the UFOs can access the same portal if that's what it is, that the, the UFOs can access the same portal that the cryptids are accessing or, or whatever, the puckwudgies or whatever is coming into this reality yeah. from another reality. That it seems like they're entering it through a, maybe a portal or, you know, but I, I, it almost makes me wonder if like this stuff really exists, like if there's an alternate reality where all this stuff really exists and we just don't see it or maybe it's in our reality, but because of our visual light spectrum, we don't see enough of it. And then we have the experiencers who are a tad bit different than the average person and they see different, they see more stuff. They, they happen to experience the
0: paranormal, you know, the unusual, the, the, the unusual thing about these kinds of places is if I were to, if I were to tell you that there's a haunted house and you see it, but I don't see it. And my son sees it, but my daughter doesn't see it. We can now talk about sensitivity. These areas seem to be places where even if you have no kind of inkling or, or, or uh, power, right, any kind of sensitivity like me, it's going to happen anyway. So they defy that rule that we normally think of as, well, some people can see and some people can't. In the Bridgewire Triangle, I think it, it, it comes right into your face, right? It, it wants to itself to be known. Um, it lures you in tempts you, kind of pushes you out at the same time. It's, it's, it's a living, breathing thing, you know. Uh, and then I think of this. I'm on my way uh, home from doing uh, Spooky South Coast, which is a, another radio show and podcast that's right in the heart of the Bridgewater Triangle. I'm driving to my house back in Boston and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting as I'm driving. I'm waiting for Coast to Coast to come on. And all of a sudden, instantly, they're about In hour two, and I'm like, "How did that happen? It it was a time slip, right? Like something weird happened. I'm driving. I'm completely sane while I'm doing this. It's late at night. You know, it we You know, it comes on at one o'clock. It was past two o'clock when when all of a sudden I just became aware. And I don't live far enough away that that would have happened. Who's to say that in another dimension or in another universe or another reality? You, it's not. You know, thirty. 23 instead of 2023. And that UFO that we see is just someone having that same kind of slip, but just a thousand years in the future. And maybe that's why the Bridgewire Triangle and these other places that seem to be magnets for, for activity, all kinds of activity, they not only, you know, the, these UFOs could be passers through that are having the same exact kind of stuff happening in their reality or their dimension or their time that we are.
1: Or do you think that the, the the phenomena might be acting a certain way and it just pro- it produces different kind? Of, like, do you think the phenomena could be an entity and it, it produces different versions of itself? Like it produces Pukwudgies or UFOs or Bigfoot? Or do you think they're all
0: separate entities acting on their own accord? I, I can. OK, so I, I'm only going to speak on the Bridgewater Triangle in this to answer your question. The answer to your question for anywhere else that's not the Bridgewater Triangle is, yes, yeah, sounds good. Maybe. Who knows? When it comes to the Bridgewater Triangle, I 100% believe that it is a living, breathing thing. I do not think it is a a byproduct of only dimensional changes or portals or shifts or things like that. I honestly feel that the Bridgewater Triangle, especially certain parts of it, like the Hockamock, like the Freetown State Forest, definitely, these are living, breathing things that need to feed. And they draw things in and they, uh, they use them, right? And the weird thing is, is that they always keep the public at arm's length. It always gets popular enough to draw people in, but never popular enough that it makes all the, the TV shows, right? Um, or it, it, you know, it, it brings in these people who are researching and deflates them, ruins them somehow, Uh, And you can look at the history of researchers in the Bridgewater Triangle and you can see like this kind of wrecking ball that has kind of gone through the lives of most of them. Can you take any sample of people uh, at any profession or in any activity and kind of find that same thing? A certain amount are going to get divorced. A certain amount are going to have personal tragedies. Yeah, you can do that. But it just seems to be a really high rate with people who directly work with the Bridgewater Triangle.
1: That's fascinating, and like, what do you, what are people seeing there? Because I know that's like cryptids, UFOs, Bigfoot. Uh, I, the, I heard something about the Mad Trucker. There's satanic cults. Like, is that all right? And like, in an even more summer or, or anything what,
0: you, <laughs> anything you want to find in the Bridgewater Triangle, you're gonna find in the Bridgewater Triangle, except for maybe werewolves. So I don't think I've ever heard a werewolf story. So if someone is out there with a Bridgewater Triangle werewolf story, I would be more than willing to hear it. Uh, but all that stuff... So no Dogman
1: then either. I'm sorry. What did you say? So no Dogman either?
0: Definitely Dogman. Yep, no no, no Dogmen are there. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, in, in terms of cryptids, you have Dogmen. You have um, you have zombies. I'm not sure if you would put those in cryptids. You have uh, giant Thunderbird-type creatures. You have uh, uh, beasts that are more dog-like. They're not necessarily werewolves. You have... Uh, pterodactyls, you have all of these giant snakes. All these things are natural in the Bridgewater Triangle. Those are the things that I feel are kind of like the showpieces of it. Like they don't travel from other places in the country to go there. They just have made it their home for, in some cases, thousands of years. Um, then the paranormal, then in the you have Bigfoot. You have, um, obviously, we talked about puck wedgies. Depending on what you classify a puck wedgie as, is it a cryptid? Is it a Elemental is it a is it something else undefinable uh, and then you have the ghost stories and, and you have story upon story upon story and so many of the Bridgewater Triangle ghost stories are unique in that they seem to not have a an origin story right we want this is what I focus on now is ghost ghostly legends why do we tell these stories right even if you don't believe the story exists. Why are people telling it? What does it fulfill in their life? What do they need from it? And the Bridgewire Triangle, these stories just exist. They don't have a meaning, and oftentimes it doesn't have a backstory. Take Lizzie Borden, for example. People want to say the Lizzie Borden Bed Breakfast. It's, you know, frequently voted the um, the number one uh, uh, or one of the, the top ten most haunted places, one of the best places to go if you want to experience something, and stuff like that, and, and yet where does that come from? Oh, well, it comes from Lizzie Borden, you know, potentially having killed her parents. And it's like, okay, well, that's a murder that that's not uncommon. Like it's a good, it's a good crime story, right? Because we don't know whether she did it. And then the more that you look into that property, you see that Lizzie Borden was not the first or Lizzie Borden's parents, I should say, were not the first people killed in that location. Well, then you start to get into, well, Whoever it was, if it was Lizzie especially, was she possessed? Was there something controlling her? And then you can look back time and time again at that same exact location, weird, unusual, unexplained tragedies happen. That is a Bridgewater triangle haunting. Like that's the definition of one almost. This weird kind of pulsing rears its ugly head and then goes away. And you don't really know why the ghost is there, why the story is there. Like why, what is this, what is going on here? And it oftentimes affects relationships between people, right? People go there, the best of friends, they move into some place, you know, into some apartment in Eastern or whatever. And then all of a sudden, these two people are are, are at their, like, wit's end with each other. They, it ends violently. And then underneath it, it's like, oh, yeah, and we also had all these paranormal things that were going on.
1: So, do you think it's something about the energy going back to that of the bridgewater triangle that makes people kind of get at each other's skin or makes people want to kill that would like i mean because like we could kind of get into this too there's there's um stories of like satanic cults there and stuff that's Mm kind of strange like and, and it's almost like if you were a cult like why would you choose that area to perform your satanic rituals? And it almost makes me think that they researched that place beforehand or something drew that drew them to there. Uh, yeah. Don't, and I, don't,
0: I don't think the research end of it as much as something drew it to them because for every, you know, if we take away the, the word is cult, right? If you take away the word satanic, you're dealing with cult um, and cult. Just think of in terms of non-established or fringe religions so many, the entire spectrum of religions that focus on energy and the use of energy, whether it's intention or whether it's, uh, using it to cast spells, things like that. Uh, all the, the entire, you know, repertoire of, of neo-pagan and, and witchcraft and w- Wiccan, they all use the forest just as frequently as the more nefarious cults that have found their way there before. And, You find this time and time again in all of those areas, you know, and it's (laughs) I almost kind of uh, compare it to, you know, if you think of, uh, you know, Jonestown or you think of Waco or you think of Heaven's Gate, all these different places, they all seem to bring these people together all from different backgrounds, all then kind of focused on one thing. And the common denominator is a dynamic leader, which is allowed to draw them in. I think the Bridgewater Triangle is the leader, right? It it is the Caresh, it is the um, the the Heaven's Gate guy, who I'm totally forgetting his name. It is uh, Jones. So I think that's the kind of difference between the Bridgewater Triangle and some other places. But it's nowhere near as unusual as you think. You know, anytime you have these spots of energy, cults find their way to it because uh, it's it's like you know it, it's like a, a thing finding water they find their way there like like a uh, divining the rods they they find their way to water because there's something in the reaction between those things that draws them to it right that kind of not only calls to them but then very specifically says plant your well here same kind of way w- w- i feel with uh, religions that really focus on energy
1: well what do you what were some of the famous cult cases that were there i know there was uh, um something that the Fall River called, I believe it was, and then something happened in the Freetown State Forest. Is that
0: both correct? Yeah, both of those things kind of crossed as well. So uh, when I first, the, this, how I began researching Freetown was that I was already starting to do a lot of work in some of the towns of the Bridgewater Triangle, specifically Rehoboth and Easton and some and some other, and Bridgewater and some other places and and Taunton. And my boss, I was working as a librarian at the time. Uh, my boss came in and he said, hey, have you ever heard of Freetown? And uh, You mean like in Africa? My dad had actually just come back from there. I'm like, yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. Freetown, Massachusetts. Freetown, Massachusetts. There's like some weird stuff that goes on. And there's like a, a paranormal cop or something. Uh, spend the rest of the afternoon and research that. Great boss, right? Um and so the very first thing that I stumbled upon were all of these cold cases, and then the ma- a man by the name of Alan Alves, who, for all intent and purposes, should have been kind of just a sleepy small town uh, detective, right? It's not Freetown, you know. At one point, had more horses than it had people. He investigated himself personally. Over 30 homicides, 30 homicides in within the area of Freetown in his somewhat short career as a detective. He investigated numerous crimes having to do with the supernatural, the paranormal, some kind of either cult or occult twinge to it to the point that he was being called up by other law enforcement agencies around the country to consult because he had to become an expert on this stuff because it was happening in his town, right? Um, So all that said, Alan Alves would tell you that if you are seeing the cult, so you asked me, what is the cult activity? If you're seeing the cult, you're not really seeing the cult, right? You're seeing the smallest, uh, most vulnerable arm of what's actually going on, right? So most of the infamous... Cult cases that came out of the Fall River, New Bedford, Freetown area have nothing to do with the actual criminal enterprise that was active in the Freetown State Forest, right? So people can go to, uh, what do you call it, uh, facebook.com backslash tripping on legends. They can look at a picture sent to me by a man, uh, a man by the name of Carl Drew. And Carl Drew, I think this is the case you're talking about. He was part of this small, really small, tight group of Satanists uh, who were was made up almost entirely of pimps and their prostitutes, and he kind of used this Satanism as a way to kind of uh, interest them, but then keep them in control. When people associated with them started to come up murdered, they began to point to Carl Drew, and of course, it exploded. Uh, And it was called, you know, uh, um, the the, they were called the satanic murders. And uh, a lot of a lot of attention was put on the fact that in addition to murdering these people, they were also Satanists. Uh, That's probably the most infamous case. But then you have people like um, like uh, uh, I'm going to totally I can't believe that Cater. I know his, his last name is Cater, who I believe was part of like the bigger cult. And he abducted someone and he brought them to the Freetown State Forest. He hung her up or kind of tied her to a tree and left her there. It's very unclear about how she actually died. Even all these years later, there's a lot of kind of misdirection with how she died. It's it's a solved case because he did it, but it's really unsolved. Uh People, if you ask law enforcement, they all say very, very quickly it was not a Satan. He was not associated with anything, and yet there were these satanic kind of uh, uh, ornamentations found near where the body was, which, to be honest with you, in Freetown you find all over the place. So it's not like it was un- would have been unusual, but I was able to track him uh, a kind of along as the cult moved from the Salem, Massachusetts area, up to where Freetown is between the 60s, 70s, and 80s that kind of coincide right with, uh, w- with this murderer kind of moving, and he gets convicted of a crime someplace, then he moves to Freetown. So there's a lot of direct evidence. You have the, uh, the highway murders. Some people believe the highway murders, which happened in, in the Bridgewater Triangle, might also potentially be cult-related. Uh, especially because there were a lot of, once again, a lot of weird things found around the area. Uh, the way the investigation went, especially on the early days with the area's history, they started looking at different people. But, you know, the majority of the creepy things that are going on there have more to do with people disappearing, people being found murdered, things like that, that they you can't quite put your hands on who exactly did it. But they have a cult or cult under kind of pinnings to them than what we actually know and can document and talk about.
1: Yeah. Um, I was going to say, did uh, did you think that it's something about the energy of Salem, Massachusetts that might be drawing these people in, or, um, or I was even going to say, do you think that because, uh, you know, because there was such tragedy and trauma and, 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 and of Salem, or are these
0: nowhere near the Salem area? Um, The bridge we are trying to lose, not near Salem. Okay. no, no, I live in Florida where you got to drive 20 minutes to, like, get to the gas station in that kind of perspective. The Bridgewater Triangle and Salem are right next to each other. You know, they're probably about two hours away from each other, but they're not really connected at all. What it has to do more. And I think it's important to make the distinction between these two things. Right. If I uh, if I practice some kind of if I practice Santeria would be a really good example, example. If I enter the Freetown State Forest, I can feel the energy shift. I can feel the, uh, uh, the ground working with me so much more. And I've had person after person, especially when I was researching that first book, Dark Woods, come to me and talk to me about this and be very open about it. That is a different thing than the cult activity, which are occurring together, right? They're in the same place and they, they get meshed and confused which is kind of what the cult wants having to do with shipping areas and having to do with uh, easy transport of materials and has to do with, so these are criminal enterprises that are also slanted towards Satanism or something like Satanism in what they practice. They are going out into the woods to conduct their rituals, but they're also using the woods to traffic drugs, to traffic people. They're also uh, doing, um, you know, if you look at where these places are and here's where it fits into that cult being in Salem, as I said, they're right on the water, right? If you look at a place like Gloucester, Massachusetts, most people who are not from Massachusetts don't know Gloucester from the perfect storm, right? That's the area uh, that we're talking about. What happens in those areas in Fall River, New Bedford is the same thing. You have shipping, you've got fishing, you've got this vibrant um, uh, coastal lifestyle that then goes under a large portion of the population gets into drugs and you get into the same place that was, you know, transporting fish and transporting products and things like that is now transporting drugs. That's the connection. And that's why the cults find these places more than actually the cults themselves using them for energy.
1: That's fascinating. That, thank you for explaining that so much because it's so interesting. that the, the 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 dichotomy of what's going on there. Like it, it, this is this is a this place fascinates me like no other. I love paranormal hotspots. Um, what what else? I wanted to get into some of the other the. the, the
2: Wait, can the, I give uh, you
0: another example first? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, because Florida, because I was able to, from a distance, even document. So as I said, I live in Florida right now. And the Ocala National Forest pretty much goes from coast to coast, and uh, so now we're talking. It goes from the East Coast, right, to <coughs> excuse me, to the Gulf of Mexico, access to Mexico, Cuba, Miami, all those different places. There is an there are active cults in the Ocala National Forest. The most harmless of which are these this group of people called the Rainbow People, who really go in an area searching for a concert, right? The rainbow people are all across the country. There's, it's an organized thing. They go off in the woods. They listen to music and have a festival for two weeks, and then they leave. In Florida, because of the weather, they don't leave. They stay, right? And so within this forest, you have this cult that kind of lives there all the time. Along with that, we all know Florida people are weird. You have people that are living in the woods anyway, a lot of whom practice uh, unusual or oft, you know, non-traditional religious methods. Those people have been infiltrated by gangs who are kind of, I'm not going to say fronted, but they're gangs that are, are, are really arms of satanic cults that are using the mystique and kind of the whole um, the whole uh, um, way that they kind of feel about the rainbow people and other people. And, and Arizona Ravens got it 100%. Rainbow people are just hippies. Right. They're just hippies who like to go out in the woods, live together for two weeks, except for in the Ocala. They've been infiltrated by people who are kind of taking advantage of them or presenting themselves. And then these places and these people now become drug mules. They become human traffickers, things like that, because they can go from one side of the state, which is the east coast of the the country, to the Gulf of Mexico and they just are transporting it all throughout and they're doing it under the guise of being part of these different non-harmful cults and so that's the way the cults work that's well. fascinating
1: so. um I, it, 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 it's amazing stuff. wow um I kind of wanted to get into uh, a couple other things before you know because like, there's so much to cover with this and you you have other books too I mean like I mean like but before we get into this other stuff, I just wanted to say, guys, you got to check out Christopher's books. I mean, he has a book on what we're talking about on the Bridgewater Triangle cults. But then he also has books on ghostly adventures, um, do-it-yourself ghost hunting books. One's called Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting, um, Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film, Haunted Objects. Um, he has Haunted Florida Love Stories, and then he has uh, the Haunted Ocala National Forest. So... We can kind of go in any direction, Chris. Um, you know, I'd say we have maybe about 15, 20 minutes left, uh, you know. Um, but I was going to say, what's the ghost activity like in Bridgewater? And then also, if you kind of wanted to touch on the, um, the ghost activity on where you're at now in the Ocala Forest. Like, and because I know you've been an experienced ghost hunter for a while. And, and then if you could tie into what you do, which is tripping on legends, like which is a little bit different than paranormal research. Um, so sorry, I know that's a lot. I, I didn't mean to. Hit you with so much, but what
0: if you want to just riff on that? Okay, well, first, let me start by saying once again, Arizona Raven. If you ever want to have a conversation, the book that I'm working on right now is about Brooksville and it's uh, Forgotten Sister City, Pemington, Pemberton Ferry. I had to actually cut all that stuff out of the Ocala book because it was its own story and just too much. So, uh, I would you know, that's that's you should have me on sometime just to talk about. Uh, That project, which is called called This Town is Myth. And it's one ghost story trying to get through the entire ghost story, but I can't because there's so many different things involved. And, yes, Brooksville is one of the creepiest places you'll ever want to be. That said, (laughs) um, yeah, you know, I I think that it was the ghost thing about the Bridgewater Triangle is – uh, I had no idea what the Bridgewater Triangle was. When I first started researching and start, first started actually what I now think of as legend tripping in areas in the Bridgewater Triangle, it had to do with ghostly legends, right? These stories that people were hearing, it ha- I wasn't investigating, it was going out and looking and trying to experience these things. Um, and it was time and time again, the same cities, the same ghostly legends, things like Anawan Rock and... Um, the redheaded hitchhiker of Route 44 in Rehoboth, Massachusetts. I'll give you a little hint. That phantom trucker doesn't exist at all.
1: Oh, the that's, legend, that's, that's the legend
0: itself, yeah. I mean, if you ever want to do a study in how, uh, how one person can by themselves create a ghostly legend and have people be talking about it 20 years later, that started as a post where someone who wanted to kind of spark a discussion said, hey – you know, does anyone know about the, this uh, this uh, this uh, mad trucker? Uh, you know, that's on Copacut Road. No one in there, in their, no one knows anyone who's ever seen it, ever heard about it. And what happened is, people started writing about it because of that post. So now it's in every single book about the Bridgewater Triangle. It's like infamous in Massachusetts, and there's not one person who's ever experienced it or knows anything that has ever happened about it. So that's how a ghostly legend kind of kind of uh, you know births itself to some degree. The other side of what I was experiencing was, I my first five years, six years of being a teacher, I taught in a juvenile detention facility. It was like a step down program, and one of the places that is in the Bridgewater Triangle, one of the most infamous places, the Taunton State Hospital. Most I shouldn't say that. Like a third of my students had made their way through the secure lockup that is in Ta- that is now part of Taunton State Hospital or was then. I'm not even sure if it is anymore. In other words, they went to jail, like prison, in Taunton State Hospital and then came to my program after it. In the course of six years, I saw probably 100 kids that had served time in Taunton. Almost none of them knew each other because it's over a period of time and you're only in the program for, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, a few months, you know, something like that. And they would all talk about not going into the basement because there were ghosts in the basement. Uh, they talked about how uh, everyone knew that there had been satanic rituals performed there before it became a prison. The it, it was a uh, it was a mental health facility, and they used to take the worst of the prisoners down into the basement, the ones who couldn't tell on them, and they used to cut their bodies and use them for ritual sacrifice you know rituals and things like that. Uh, I at At the same time, I'm getting people who worked at Taunton who were saying, I've suffered time slips there. I've had this this weird thing going on. I've had that weird thing going on. Almost every student I had that went through Taunton said they would wake up in the middle of the night and they would see a dark figure in the corner staring at them. They couldn't see the eyes. They just knew that there was a shadow person looking at them in the corner of the room. This is dozens of students over years who didn't know each other talking about the same phenomenon, uh, most of whom described it as at nighttime, uh, Venom used to come into my room because that was their frame of reference was Venom, you know, because they were comic book fans. Um, I then started getting report after report from this area, a report after report from Fall River. So it was one of those things where I was following up on cases. I was following up on you know, both as a paranormal investigator and as kind of like a legend tripper and just researcher, people kept bringing me there. So it's not like I said, this is a bridge warrior triangle, let me go find stuff. When I started to try to find some kind of context for this, I came upon the research of Chris Pittman, who's doing the same thing that I was doing, except for um, he was tracking more cryptids and UFOs. We didn't even know we knew each other. We had actually worked with each other at my sister's restaurant for a few years and didn't even know both of us were doing the same research on the same, but like on different topics. It wasn't until I really discovered his research that I started to know about this bridge Triangle triangle, which was odd because I'd already by then kind of had a relationship with Lauren Coleman and talked back and forth. So that's the kind of nature of the of the ghost. Right. It's one of those things where people are, are reporting the same things in the same location for more than a generation you know, for some time, several different generations. And then I went and did the research and started to discover, oh, wow, there's some commonality between this. And there's definitely like a bigger context for it.
1: That's interesting. And then and then what are what I, I think we talked about this last time, but I'm so interested in this, like, what the heck are pukwudgies? Like, I've never heard of that until I met you, like, until I until i I researched the the Bridgewater triangle before we did our first show. And then I heard yeah. a little bit about Puck Then you tried to explain it a little bit, but it, they remind me of like a gremlin type creature. Is that kind of right? or Bigger. What, what
0: Yeah, a, 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 think of a bridge troll. That might be a bet, the, the best frame of reference, regardless, so you're gonna have people right now who are going to uh, uh, Google Puck if they've never heard of them before, right? Uh, and they're going to see things that look absolutely nothing like wudgies actually look like because they have taken off in the last 15 years. And they're such a good, like good villain that people put all types of things on them that aren't actually, you know, classic Pukwudgie things. Uh, it's one of those things where it's because they're so versatile, you can say, oh, well, I heard that they're porcupines. We're going to draw it porcupine. Uh, quills on it, and and uh, oh, they have these claws. I don't know where the claws thing ever came from, but now everyone draws puck wedges with these like giant claws, like Freddy Krueger. Instead, think of like a bridge troll, right? Like think of something that's kind of under there, creeping under, waiting for the goats to pass, if you will. And you know they're generally about three feet tall. They look like a combination of a, a Wampanoag Native American and a of uh, this kind of bridge troll. At one point in their history, at their like at their very earliest beginnings, they were just your typical trickster spirits, right? Like all of these creatures kind of follow the same pattern through all these different cultures, these small diminutive monsters, if you will. Tricksters, but then they kind of, you know, some people say they get jealous, some people just say when God kind of goes off for a little bit and they're allowed to show their true colors, they show them and they start burning villages. They start kidnapping people they start luring um uh hunters deeper and deeper into the woods they can control the spirits of the people who they have killed with these ghost lights that the wampanoag call Taipaiwankas. the only problem is these sightings are still happening today so it's not just this myth that kind of has this mystique for it and oh wow well, isn't it cute and you know when I first started writing about them, I got three reports of the same exact. They were very similar in Freetown, right? All of them had to do with walking in the woods, seeing this troll-like creature in the woods. Then the creature disappears. And then three nights later, they say in their mind three nights later, I think it kind of feels like that. This creature comes back to, in two instances, it was their house. In one instance, the person was parked and saw it. Uh, and they got the feeling that they had been stalked and that the creature was trying to intimidate them to have them never go back into the forest. By the way, none of them ever went back into the forest. Um, and they were asking me, what is this? Like, what is, you're like what, are, what is this creature? I don't know what it is. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I can tell you, like, it sounds like every small creature from folklore. And then I found an obscure reference in a book by the author Joe Citro of Pukwudgies. And the more I started researching it and, and looking kind of like at old documents, at, like I said, at that time I was a librarian. So I would get something and then I would order the entire bibliography for myself, whether it was news articles or whether it was books. And then I would take those and look at the bibliography and I started to write about it. And more people started coming forward with these experiences and more people who had had what they thought were abduction instances were coming to me and saying, you know, I always thought I was an abductee, but I read your stuff about this Puckwudgie and it's much more like that.
1: So So the Puckwudgies are abducting people or to a certain extent or what uh, what what happened with Did they ever elaborate on their I mean, what did they say that I mean, what did they did they do, they, do you know uh, Sorry, this has got me. No, no, no was, I, um, It was I've been doing a lot of research on the abduction phenomena for a while. And like I, it, it fascinates me that things come and take people in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah and I think, in the middle, like people get taken during the middle of the day, too. But like I would love to hear if these puck wedgies are actually taking people against do you. I mean, is that
0: happening? No, I think I think was, I think what it more was, was the idea of being in bed. Uh, having this small thing next to you, lights kind of bright lighting up the whole room, this thing seeming to examine and intimidate you, and then a, t- a period of blackout, right? So I have never heard of a Pukwudgie uh, in modern times taking someone from their house. Wampanoag legend, 100%, but not taking people from their actual house. But it was rather uh, the abductee had experienced like, three of the five elements of an abduction and because it was the only filter that they were given, they thought they had been abducted. So they kind of filled in the blanks with the other two. What it was more of was seeing this something in the woods, this feeling of dread, this feeling of, and then waking up and having that puck wedgie inside of their house near their bed that they kind of related to. And they were like, Oh, I thought I was abducted or I thought it was an abductee. But when I hear your story, I realize the other things never happened that you would Find the traditional
1: abduction. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you, and, and this is my last question. Have you found? I mean, like, what is what's the uh, UFO scene like at the Bridgewater Triangle? And, like, is there like a lot of alien abduction going on there, or is there any like reported cases?
0: There are a ton of re- UFO sightings, but I would definitely not want to talk uh, about UFO abductions or elaborate any more on UFOs because. I'm not the UFO expert. There's a lot of really good people out there. Um, Enough to, but I can tell you that if you type in Bridgewater Triangle UFO, you're going to get a lot of information. But I don't follow up on those things. Like it used to be uh, with uh, Chris Pittman and I, uh, you know, which Chris are you going to go to? So people would come to me with UFO stories and I would give them to Pittman and people would come with ghost stories to Pittman and he would give them to me. So, you know, I I don't feel uh, qualified to talk about the UFOs in the Bridgewater Triangle.
1: There, there's a couple of questions from the audience. Um, I don't understand this one, Michelle Petro. Oh, let me put this one up first. She has two questions. If you could answer them real quick, I just she says they mind control spirits with ghost lights. Which, mm-hmm. we elaborate? We we know
0: I don't know what she means. Sure. So they're called Pai wunkas, right? We would call them ghost lights, uh, or will the wisp, or however, whatever you want to call them, spook lights. And what they would do is, and this is this was actually my first experience with the Pukwudgie – before I knew the term, you'd see these kind of little explosions, uh, these little pops of light into the woods. If that happens, you're a little bit curious, right? It doesn't seem like it's harmful, doesn't seem like it's weird. So you go a little bit deeper in the woods to follow it. And then all of a sudden, that light appears a little bit further away. And so now you're following it a little bit further and further into the woods. And then all of a sudden, it's an, and you're going deeper and deeper into a place that you don't know. Um, sometimes they would actually. It said that they would bring them to the edge of something, and people would be so mesmerized by watching the pretty lights, they would literally just fall off the cliff. They would they would be hypnotized by it and not paying attention to where they were going. Um, that's one example. But another example is if anyone in your audience has seen uh, Brave, um, this, this was straight out of Brave. When I was in Indiana tracking puckwudgies in Indiana, I literally had uh, uh, fireflies which were mimicking the exact movements I had been documenting with with um, Pai Wunkas, and they, boom, formed a straight line, literally a pathway to where the wedgie was kind of in the woods lurking behind a tree, just kind of watching my partner and I trounce around looking for them. Um, so that's kind of the nature of the Tai Pai Wunkas, is that they're there to lure. Other people say there's not necessarily a, a rhyme or reason or a purpose behind them, they're just wandering, but I've definitely seen. If anyone wants to Google, uh, on or just search up on YouTube when puck wedgies attack, they'll see this video that they can feel free to believe, not believe, just experience it, see what it's like. But it's what I felt at the time, based on what we were doing, I felt that there was some kind of puck wedgie intrusion, like a possession, because it was clearly trying to make a statement to have us not be there that ended with an explosion of Tai Pai Wunkas behind us. And they were, the woods was just kind of alight with them. So that's kind of the nature of them. I hope that answers her question.
1: Yeah. And then she had one other one. This is the last one. She just, she said, she said, what about the fae? I've heard the stories of them kidnapping kids. Did they, is there examples of that in the Bridgewater Triangle?
0: Um, it, it's almost interesting. Like there's almost so much uh, uh, paranormal activity that the supernatural doesn't have a foothold. Um, you hear of puckwudgies, and you hear of old stories of puckwudgies acting more like traditional fae in terms of kidnapping kids and things like that. Um, you oddly enough, and, and to be honest, I've never even really thought about it until she just brought it. You don't have a lot of fairy stories in the Bridgewater Triangle, nor do you have uh, a lot of kid abduction stories. The majority of abductions that are happening that would then, you know, people would, whether it might be just trying to explain it away or whether it might actually be truth, you don't have a lot of kids disappearing, you have adults disappearing. Down here in Florida, plenty of Faye, plenty of kids being abducted, plenty of that kind of being a traditional thing. Um, but in the Bridgewater Triangle, not nearly as much. I actually can't think of off the top of my head one really classic non puckwudgie fay story.
1: Yeah, I, I, there's um, there's there's a lot of activity in the south. Like I said, that place called the Meadow is down there. I think it's in, they won't say where it is. Like you know, Trey Hudson he he investigates that. He's um he he's an author, but he he's been. It's they call it the South Skinwalker Ranch. I have a feeling it's somewhere in Georgia, but I I don't know. I've never been there, and I don't want to yeah, give away their location. It wouldn't
0: surprise me. Georgia and Tennessee have a lot of activity, uh, and um, that's actually I'm trying to make my way up to this. To Macon, Georgia, actually, um, so that I can uh, uh, so that I can investigate, look, kind of track down these seven different cemetery legends all within like a half hour of Macon, Georgia, because it is just crazy. They're just dripping with ghostly legends, and I've you know exhausted a lot of the ones in Florida, um, and and I'm just responding once again to Arizona Raven. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that the, the supernatural and the cult activity and the pedophiles in Florida are uh, separate things, by the way.
1: Oh, that's that's uh, that's all connected. Oh, yeah, because the satanic cults do that kind of stuff. Right.
0: Well, also, you know, who you choose to employ uh, and who you choose to get their hands dirty um, is often, you know, the kind of the people who are on the surface a lot darker than the people that you're not seeing.
1: Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that I see what you mean. That's fascinating. Well, uh, the, I, I don't want to take a lot of your time. I know you have kids and you have a wife and stuff so I, I, Thank Christopher. I love having you on the show, man.
0: This was so I, wait, did you say life or wife because uh <laughs> I'm also a single dad, so <laughs> well, well, well that I mean that that's tough, man.
1: I, I that, that 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 makes me even appreciate you even more. Thank you so much. Like that, that has to be – you're balancing a whole bunch of stuff, and you find a way to investigate the paranormal uh, on top of being a single dad and on top oh, – wow, that's amazing. And,
0: and, to be, like, and to be honest with you, I I involve my kids as much as possible in what I do uh, because it is tracking down ghostly legends, and they have great eyes and ears, and it teaches them history and teaches them uh, interview skills and in interacting with people. But then my show, to some degree, Tripping on Legends, would be Lost Without My Daughter because – she brings the perspective of new digital legends, uh, things like the back rooms and the Walton files that are and the elevator game, things like that, that are really kind of where ghostly legends are trending now. What I don't understand
1: like, what that is, that's I'm like, that's to see that because I don't have kids, so that's just uh, I, you, it. Sounded like you were speaking Chinese to me. What
0: is that? I just have to know no, the elevator have to game, no, of most stuff. of these are come from Japan. No, well, you're gonna have to co- have me come on just to talk about you know modern digital legends. Um, but they're you know, they're they're legends that are past and created. They have histories, they have traditions that date back as, as far as any ghostly legend, but they're happening now. So the back rooms, for example, is a place that you fall into and it's just the same room over and over and over and over again. And you can't escape it. And so there are all these videos, there are all these YouTube videos of people who are in the back rooms who then get attacked about, you know, by some kind of supernatural creature that kind of runs these. Or you have the Walton Files, which talks about, you know, the the, the taking of people being replaced by a fake version of themselves, uh, and then having all these paranormal occurrences. But it's told in a very, I guess we would call it to some degree, the best example would be, like, found footage. Like, it's this weird combination of found footage and, like, old-timey, like from the 1960s and the 1980s, these weird videos kind of cut together. But digital legends are out there. If if anyone's ever tired of hearing the same ghost story time and time again, just type in modern digital legends and you're going to find yourself in a rabbit hole that's going to feel like the back room's. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look that tonight, man. I'm not, that, that sounds, I never heard of that. I never heard of that ever. Or you can, or you can listen to our episodes on it on uh, Tripping on Legends. Yeah, definitely.
1: That's right. Your podcast, like you, you so you cover that a lot or. um. Yeah, I'd say
0: about every third show we do, I have my daughter on with me and we explore the legends. And sometimes we connect it to legends in other parts of the country or Florida that are not digital. Like so that people can see like, The same thing that's going on in the elevator, game that exists in a legend at the Biltmore Hotel in Tampa, you know, or or Miami. So these things are kind of playing off of each other. It's just how the kids are now um, consuming it is different.
1: I have one more question. Would you consider Slender Man? A digital legend? Or was that just something false that kind of... Or Well, they say it kind of took its own life, right? It's weird. Slender Man's weird because I can see people saying it's totally fake. I understand that. But then some people say that it kind of... It became like an an egregore or an an archetype that took its own life. I don't know. What are your thoughts
0: on that? So Slender Man is what got me back into doing this. I had gotten out of the game completely, um, but there were so many of my students at that time I was... Um, I was teaching middle school that were referencing it and that were to some degree consumed by it. And I was listening to a Banal of America episode with Lauren Coleman on it. And he said something to, to the degree of Slender Man is most impactful with a very specific demographic, which are girls between the ages of 10 and 12. And I was like, I became obsessed with why? Why is why is that the age group? What is it? What is? And the more you look into Slenderman, you see a it is a one hundred percent internet created phenomenon, right? However, if you look at archetypes and if you look at uh, um, um, avatars of the boogeyman or of shadow people, things like that. Through the years, you're gonna see things that move, look, and act exactly like Slenderman. Right, everything from the gentleman on Buffy the Vampire Slayer to uh, um, to you know old episodes of uh, um, the Twilight Zone, which feature a creature that's almost exactly like it, to you know the Puck Wedgies themselves, which are also associated with a, with a Slenderman type character in them. That's he is awesome. 100% real, but as Slenderman, he is an internet creation. But I don't think uh, that you can separate those two things. Well,
1: I almost—I spe- I know you don't have a lot of time. I'm sorry. I just want to go over this no, with you. No, I, I've got you're plenty of time. My
0: kids are fed now, so.
1: I, I was just going to say, I, I, I felt like, I mean, this is going back to the Art Bell stuff, but like it ties into what you're saying. I felt, I, I put this together the other day. I felt like the shadow people were a creation of the Art Bell show, but I feel like they're a real phenomena because. I think maybe people were seeing them way before the Art Bell show, but it didn't start coming out until that like coming of the internet area. Where, when like, two thousand one, when Art started interviewing people and people <coughs> started popping up everywhere saying they were seeing shadow people, it was very strange, right? Or that could just be like how Dog Man is now. Like nobody heard about Dog Man fifteen years ago, but now all of a sudden we hear Dog Man, this Dog Man, that. It's brought took on a life of its own, isn't it strange? I mean, I think I'm right about that. I don't know.
0: Um, I think that. I think that you, you can go either way with it. I think we all tap into something. It's you know, it's what because it's just look at trends, right? Look at what becomes popular, uh, what people start to do, phrases that come in and out of our, our our vocabulary and our lexicon. They they change over time, and no one can exactly point their finger at when did when did it become? When did awesome become like awesome man? Like when did? And I experienced this. I don't know if you know, but I've got crazy Riz. Don't know what that means, right? That's because 15 and 16 year olds are saying it and no one can tell you where it comes from, where the word came from. They just start saying it. Like it just, What's that's that what urban legend is. Riz, R-I-Z. Uh, I don't means know what that like,
2: means. That it mean? means I'm like really...
0: style, especially when it comes to flirting. Oh, okay. <laughs> don't ask me. I just report. I think that, um, I think I agree with you in terms of shadow people have always been there. Like I said, they exist Literally, in the legends of Puck Wedgies, Art Bell uh, and Coast to Coast, it seemed, brought the the hat element to it, right? Because I had never heard of shadow people with a hat referred to as shadow men with hats before the show, right? I had never heard the term rods before Coast to Coast, and yet I can look back on pictures where I have rods, right? I I remember Rod. Remember, his name was Jose Escamilla, and he investigated rods, right? And it was, yeah, and it was, so I think that to one degree, uh, people, you, you pick up on something and then and then someone kind of does it in a public sense. I'll give you a really good example. I had never heard, I don't know if you know this or the audience knows it, uh, and I totally love the idea that people in the chat room are throwing around the term gin because that fits in with everything that I'm saying. I had never heard of Charlie Charlie, Right. No one that I knew, my meaning my students, had heard of Charlie Charlie, which was like five years ago, uh, a new version of it's kind of it was kind of like taking a Ouija board and mixing it with divining rods, but using pencils, right? Then all of a sudden, I'm watching the news one night, and they start talking about sweeping Lee County schools. The, the, you know, the deadly game is your child, you know, communicating with the devil. Da, 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 da. And it's like, it's Charlie, Charlie. It's them showing this game to which it then exploded. In other words, no one was doing it till they did a news report on it and told everyone about it. And then everyone was doing it. So I think there's a lot of that type of thing going on. Um, you know, and whether these things are real, whether the things like the back rooms are real or whether sunderman's real or whether... You know, I, I think that, um, I always say, uh, you know, we can argue over whether or not ghosts are real, but a ghost story is always real because people tell it and to add a layer to it. I think that things like slender man, things like, uh, uh, you know, techie, techie, these are, these can become tulpas. So in other words, we create them because we think about them. Maybe, as if one like one person was saying in the chat room, maybe sprinkled with a little gin dust or a little Fey dust to kind of help push it along. Maybe those creatures then take the forms of these things we're already worshiping and scared of. The boogeyman looks different in every generation. It keeps changing what it looks like, and it always seems to pick the form that freaks out people the most. It's kind of like Pennywise, right? So I think a lot of these things travel through our consciousness. They exist. And then all of a sudden, because we know that they exist, we start seeing that VW bug all over the place and doing punch buggy because we're looking. Now all of a sudden they show themselves and we create them.
1: Wait, I just got one more question. Sorry, this is the last question. Stop apologizing. I'm here for you. Don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> I love the Boston accent by the way. But um so do, do, you, do you believe in intelligent ghosts then? Do you believe that like spirits can interact with people? Do, I mean Oh yeah you, yeah yeah. Yeah
0: yeah. Oh 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean it's it's um I'll give you a really good example. And at Tripping on Legends and what we do, we focus on um we focus on the story and the experience and not evidence, right? So we're not out there I don't I'm not an investigator. I would say I'm a reformed investigator. I go out there and I research what is the legend? Why are people telling it? Why are they saying, what does the ghost story have to say about the community? What does it say about the living? And then we go out and we try to experience the haunting the way that the people, the community are saying it, right? So we go out with almost no equipment, but we go out obviously with cameras and video cameras and tape recorders because we're documenting everything for the show so we can bring it to the audience. There's this one place called Fort DeSoto, and I could do an entire three hours on what's going on in Fort DeSoto, but I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. One of the legends that happens there is that there is a woman who had, for a while it was a quarantine, right? So it was a yellow fever quarantine. A woman uh, had four children. The way it was set up was that the different hospitals or the different areas of Fort DeSoto change depending on how bad you had the disease or you had the disorder. So if you were really sick, you were in one place. If you weren't that sick, she had four kids, two of which were in the worst building and two of which were in uh, a much lesser severe case building. So she used to go every night. She wasn't allowed to go into the building, which is a hospital, right? Um, She wasn't allowed to go into the building, but she would like kind of pound on the door, right? (laughs) and her son would pound like this rubber ball against the wall or some kind of ball against the wall. So that she knew that, you know, he was there and he knew that she was there and then those children died and she never got to get closure with them because she had to take care of these other two kids as well. So it's said that she still walks that founding, which is just a foundation. Now she still walks around the foundation of that hospital looking for her children. Okay, so maybe that's a residential haunting, right? or residual haunting. Maybe it's you know just kind of the energy of her there. The same haunt, ho- this is the same hospital when the infamous Skyway bridge uh, got hit and collapsed, and all these bodies were falling into Tampa Bay, when they were taken out of the water, they were housed in the same hospital, right? So it's this place of great death and tragedy. So we're there, and we are just... Looking at it, like the, the nighttime has kind of fallen. We're looking at the Skyway Bridge, kind of, you know, talking about that kind of stuff. And then my partner at the time uh, says, oh, just give me some time alone in this area. So I went to another area that had kind of a, another thing going on. And she was just walking around that foundation. And she just had a tape recorder in her hand. And she was just having a conversation. And the conversation went something ill you know, to the effect of, you know, um, you you know, I'm a mother. I know what it would be like to lose my children. Like, I'm a mother. It sucks. I know. I know your pain. Our rule is there's no such thing as an EVP unless I can plug it into my car on the way home, turn up the, rig- the volume, and hear it. So I don't go searching for hours like I used to back in my investigation days. If I hear it, we stop, we look at it, we kind of try to break it down. On the tape, on the way home, so loud, we had to stop the car Because we were freaked out so much. You hear her and she says, I know it sucks. I know. I know I'm a mother too. I know, I know your pain. Right there on the tape, it goes, no, you don't. No, you don't. If that's not an intelligent haunting, if that's not the dead communicating with the living on a common theme or a common idea that's in the moment, that's not abstract, I don't know what is. And that wow. kind of stuff happens you know like people who are into this and people who do what you know we do that stuff happens so yeah i 100 agree that there are plenty of residual hauntings there's plenty of things we absolutely 100 don't understand or can't explain and then there's intelligence what intelligent ones as well
1: wow that's fascinating well i, I thank you so this has been amazing chris like that thank you so much i'd love to have Ooh, you on I'm again fine. Um, could you tell everybody um,
0: whatever you want to promote, a uh, website or podcast, books? Yeah, and, sure. And, and, um, and the podcast, the podcast, and the website are is tripping on legends. Uh, you can go. You can find the um, the the podcast on any of the platforms. It's on everything now. Um, the best place to go if you're old like me. Is Facebook because everything makes its way to Facebook. The Instagram makes it to Facebook. The TikTok makes it to Facebook. It all gets posted there. It's the easiest way to follow us, which is facebook.com backslash Tripping on Legends. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, you can type in my name to Amazon. You're going to find, you know, my books. I've got nine of them out there. So uh, I'm not going to say if you're going to get the book, don't get Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film. It's not that good. But any of the other ones I would highly recommend.
1: Yeah, you're a prolific writer. You write a lot, right? It seems like you have, a, I mean, I, you have like nine, ten books out? Yeah, and this
0: summer we're republishing because the rights have come back to us and we want to do it a little bit differently. Tim Weinsberg and I are uh, reissuing Haunted Objects with kind of like an updated feel to it. Uh, and then i work currently working on two other projects, like two other book projects that I'm hoping to get done after, you know, by the end of the summer. Then I have to go back to my real job. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to say anything that's good, but, yeah, I read a lot.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, there, thank you again. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again. Oh, and, guys, if you're looking for any of my links, I usually put them in the description. I, I, di- I didn't I did I just because I wanted to put John's information and Chris's information in there. I'll put it in there. But if you want to use any of the sponsors, this video was sponsored by Happy Hippo Kratom. I don't like to say that because I don't want to pitch stuff. I don't want to be promoting stuff. My stuff and you got, I, I and I know you viewers don't like to hear that. So like, if you want to use it, do your research. If you like it, you like it. You don't, you don't. But the links are always in the description. So <laughs> that's all I have to plug. But thank you guys. And uh have a good night, everybody.